Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Diamond Dogs string some wins together. Basketball Bulldogs take a couple of losses, but are still relatively on track. And the SEC gives us some word on media days this coming summer. Hey, you're here on a Sunday night edition of The Doghouse with your host, David Murray, on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome to this Sunday evening edition, as already said, as I get repetitive and redundant. Normally, we try to record these anytime between Tuesday, Thursday, with uh, weekend events in mind. However, when the baseball series got moved up to a Thursday start and finish on Saturday, doubleheaders it turned out, but still finished on Saturday, with a couple of basketball games to evaluate. And uh, by the way, the women's basketball finishing up today just felt like, hey, Let's hold off till Sunday evening and give a pretty comprehensive report on that. And we're going to start very briefly with the events of the day. Congratulations to Sam Purcell and Lady Bulldogs for snapping their own losing streak. Missouri's a rather beatable team, and the Mississippi State did what they had to do. They beat them. They've had some ugly losses recently. They had some confusing losses. I'm not sure they've ever really gotten over that shelling they took from Florida and other issues that have developed here down the post of the season, but still, they've won. And so, at least for this moment, it looks like they will probably be, I'm not going to say a lock for the NCAA tournament, because events outside can always weigh on the selection if there are enough upsets in other conferences. That, And that actually happens more in women's basketball than men's, although most conferences have that one good team compared to the men's teams that usually have two, three, four who should be able to win it. Still, if I had to guess right now, winning against Missouri, first off, it ended the losing streak, and secondly, it probably pushed them off that last four in line that the bracketologists from ESPN tout. And State certainly played itself into that position with the defeats they took. And I mentioned the Florida loss. I think the Ole Miss loss uh, also weighed on them as well. And some things just were not clicking down the stretch, but they pulled it together after being tight for three quarters, took care of business. Now, they have a matchup in the SEC tournament this week. They'll be playing on the second day in Greenville, and they've drawn Texas A&M, a team that they rallied past to win in the regular season in College Station. So you feel like they've got a chance to get that done and probably lock up an instantly trip. Now, the downside is they're an eight seed, which means you're playing the number one if you advance. And right now, South Carolina is the undisputed number one of everything involving women's basketball. That's okay. You just get a shot at them, take your best shot, try to use that, go home, and start getting ready for the tournament bid that you expect to receive on the selection day. That's just a quick look at women's basketball. I know we deserve to give them more. And uh, speaking of deserve to give them more, I'm a... remiss if I don't mention that congratulations to Samantha Ricketts softball team. I've really got to start paying them even more attention. I've written a few pieces kind of summarizing what they've done, but yeah, it wasn't a star-studded field they were playing, but the Bulldogs dominated. They swept their own tournament on campus, and they'll be tuning up for SEC season with a national ranking, a lot of confidence, a heck of a pitching staff so far, increased confidence on the offensive side, it's just a fun team to watch or to follow there. So let's give the Lady Bulldog softball bunch a shout out here as well before we turn to the subjects of most interest. And we'll start with men's basketball. All right. No, 
baseball. Let's go to baseball first because they've won five straight. There's my top of my notes pad, and there it is. Uh, Eight and four with five straight wins. No, it's not where they want to be. It's not where they should be. Uh, Having followed every game so far, I think at minimum they should be 10 and two and probably more like 11 and one at this point. They're not for various reasons. But if you have your slump early and get over it, okay, fine. Now, of course, we all know that these preseason games, uh, they're not absolutely indicative of what you are or are not as far as getting ready for SEC season, but it gives you the areas that may end up being strengths. You start getting some ideas about your rotation. And right now, State pretty much has a rotation set, barring anything really extraordinary. Uh, Offensively, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But I tell you what, let's, let's summarize. Let's go through some individual first. Nate Dome is making himself some money. The way this guy is pitching and his work against St. Mary's, again, not a good team. I think they had one win total coming into the series and lost all three games. But he dominated, and he did it on a day short rest. So you watch this guy, you see his fastball, and now he starts mixing in some different stuff, uh, moving his location around. Ah, this guy, he has the makings of an ace, and certainly he's going to be thrown out there in the first nights, uh, most probably. And Gerangelo Sanja, he may, I repeat, may have figured it out as far as location and repeatability. You really like what he did Saturday evening. Again, he was short a day rest, and I think that matters more to a guy like him than it does to Dome because Sanja's still kind of learning how to pitch at this level. The raw skills are there. They're not quite as raw as they used to be. Yeah, he had one tough inning where the location got away from him, and he still sometimes has some issues with left-handers, leaving it up and in a little too much. That's okay. He settled it down, figured himself out, and got the game going, and they let him go a full 109 pitches in his third time out. I was really, frankly, I was very surprised they let him run out there when he'd finished the previous inning at 103. Well, thankfully, he knocked out that inning, or well, two-thirds of an inning, in six pitches before they sat him down. But point being, they stretched him out, and he responded, didn't seem to have lost much velocity. And uh, that bodes well, because when the pressure of SEC play comes, it's not so many, so much how many pitches you have to throw, that always matters. It's uh, how intense do you have to be on all the throws. So building up endurance is a great sign here early in the season for him. And Cal Steven. He had that one awful inning against Georgia Southern, but he the week before, he had dominated Air Force. He looked really good against a bad team this time, but looked really good in game one on Saturday. Now, he was staying on schedule, so every reason to expect that there. So does Justin Parker have himself a rotation? Well, at this point, you don't see anybody really jumping in, and, uh, and it's kind of, you know, with one weekend left before league season begins, if, I, I really don't see Parker making a move at this point, barring somebody just blowing it up in midweek, like, say, a Bradley Lofton, who I expect to get the start Tuesday in Pearl. Um, they could always bring him back on Sunday some and tune him up for the SEC. But no, at this point, I got to think they're going to go with Dome, Sanja, and Stephen in some combination order there. And the thing that has jumped out to me about them so far is – a really great strikeout-to-walk ratio. Uh, some innings, they do get hit. They have those innings where the other team just gets up, attacks the ball, squares some balls up, drives it around, and makes things happen. But they're not giving up a lot of runs, 
and they're generally leaving runners on bases when they do, and they don't put bad innings back to back to back. So this preseason is being used for exactly what it should be for a pitching rotation. You're putting guys out there, you're getting them into a rhythm, and figuring out, all right, and when it comes to the weekend LSU's in town, it's probably going to be you three. Here's the ball. Go get them, kids. Now, I mentioned Lofton. Uh, he's still coming back from that injury last year that cost him half a season. But at this point, I would kind of expect him to start in Pearl. A week ago, it was Colby Holcomb against Jackson State. And, well, you saw the results. And the guy has all the pitches, but his location and – was really off, and when he did put it in the zone, it was very hittable. Jackson State jumps to a 5 nothing lead. They get him out of there. But Lamonis was blunt. He said, we need Colby Holcomb during the course of this season. Now, he said it may be out of the bullpen now instead of as a starter, but they need Colby Holcomb because he's got the stuff. He's clearly got the stuff. So don't look for him to be cast aside, certainly not this early, and probably not at all. Now, the defensively, well – the return of uh, David Marchand from injury, the hamstring pull at second. Wow, the guy has been a revelation. Logan Kohler, well, we saw briefly the one game before he got hurt in the early innings uh, against Air Force, but now he's come back. He has really played well at third base. And Dylan Cup, oh my goodness, he has the glove work handled, and there's every reason to believe the body is going to catch up with his batting as time goes on and more at-bats because – Hitting in the nine hole as he has, he's coming through. He's getting his RBI count up. He's getting on base. He's drawing walks. You like what these guys are doing. And Marshawn, I mean, you just see this guy and, and the charge he puts into a ball for his size. You just think, oh, my. I mean, you see the potential there. Would I be averse to moving him to the top of the order? Not a bit. I would gladly see him leading off every game now. Not that Monty Larry has been bad at it. But um, I kind of like the idea of Marshawn because get him on base, I think he's a better base runner in most regards. Again, that uh, speed is not all telling in that. There's the instincts, there's uh, the timing, all sorts of things. But Marshawn, to me, just looks like a guy you want up in leadoff. No, I'm not going to compare him with a certain uh, guy who hit leadoff three-plus seasons here. That's way too much to put on a guy way too early in his second college season there. But you like what you see. I mentioned Cup down at the other end of the order. Let's talk about Johnny Long. Uh, Average, not particularly impressive. But he seems to have a knack for occasionally getting that clutch hit that, well, bluntly, some guys higher in the order just aren't coming through with lately. He started some innings off, in fact, as well. He and Connor Heisak. And, um, you know, with that mix there in the 7-8 slots, and, of course, by the way, Hysack, you notice he sat a couple of games, and when he came off the bench, all of a sudden, bang, his batting was back on the stride. Uh, Lamont's made the comment that sometimes he gets a little too amped up when he's starting the game, sitting him, let him rest a little bit, but he started game three against St. Mary's and was just a machine out there in center field. So I like what's taking place there, but we've got to talk about the heart of the order. Now, I have to be careful on this. We know, let's get the truth out there first. We know Dakota Jordan, Hunter Hines, and Bryce Chance can hit. We've seen it. 
Chance, by the way, he has been so unrewarded for the good contact he's been making. I think it started getting to him a little bit this weekend because he had a few uh, average to worse at-bats there. But previous to that, he was stinging the ball with nothing to show for it. And Dakota Jordan and Hunter Hines. Now, Jordan, of course, he's leading the team in home runs. He's already up to four. By the way, home runs is an interesting topic because this club is so far behind the pace of the last two seasons with long balls. It's not even the same, so to speak, ballpark. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But it's one thing to hit home runs against non-conference pitching and start learning to rely on it when you go into league play where they just ain't going to be there. Those same pitches to hit. I prefer they be going for average, and their averages are pretty respectable at this point until you consider the competition. Jordan and Hines, what, 333 and 306 respectively, the numbers look good, but for the kind of competition they've been facing on the mound, it should be better. I do think Lamone has put his finger on something, though. He mentioned that several hitters, and I think I had to know uh, who he was referring to uh, obliquely, that some of his guys would rather see 95 miles per hour coming at them than waiting for the change-ups and BP fastballs they've seen through most of these first 12 games. Teams that come up there are thrown soft, You've seen Jordan and Hines get ahead in the swings, make soft contact when just hang there, that invisible instant that you can't define, but you can sure see it, and crush the ball. As Jordan's proven, when he crushes it, it goes a heck of a long way, and you know Hines has the long ball power. You know Chance is going to start knocking balls around. It's just they haven't done it yet. Could that? I'm not going to say it's a good thing. Don't Do not misunderstand this. I'm not saying it's a good thing and that they're, quote, getting it out of the way here early, although that would be nice if they were. I'm just saying that these are veterans who've had their slumps before. And also, uh, even though these were non-conference teams, they do have access to scouting on state that all SEC teams will have about what to throw these guys and what not to throw these guys. So it's going to come down to Jordan, Hines, and Chance making their own adjustments with Jake Gotro's tutoring and sometimes may, maybe just doing it entirely on their own because there comes a point the coach can only do so much. The players have to figure it out for themselves. These guys have the capability to figure it out for themselves. Do I think they will? Yeah. Maybe not all at one time. We rarely could get that lucky with an order that all of a sudden everybody's hot. I mean, 1989 was such a fluke in that regard. God, what a great season that was. Everybody could crush. But you have a chance now for these guys to get back on their groove and start tuning up again for SEC because they need to get some confidence. They just need to go out there. And maybe changing venue won't be a bad thing. I mean, they played 12 straight home games. That's all great and good, and they enjoy it, and it's easy on everybody. But going to Pearl, maybe that kind of loosens up the swing a little bit. Uh, Just don't get caught up too much in the batting practice and uh, swinging for the fences there. Let the pitches from Southern Miss come and just do something with it. And if they leave the park, all the better. But find those gaps, drop them in front of the outfielders, punch them through the infielders, get some confidence going there. And they already have, I mean, they should. They should have that confidence already. It's... uh, just a case of reinforcing it by some results here as you're getting ready, again, as I say many, many, many times for SEC season. 
you know, also about the lineup, we've seen some uh, late game outfield substitutions. And frankly, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, put simply, the general talent pool is much improved on this roster based on early impressions, and it bodes well for the future. But the present, the pressure is on. And that's up to the big sticks to go out there and deliver and reinforce the pitching because these guys can pitch the ball. They can last innings. They're durable. They're tough-minded enough to stay in on situations. Back them up with offense, and you got a team that's got a chance to get something done this season. One good thing about this offense, everybody that I mentioned, they aren't striking out a lot. Yes, the strikeouts do tend to be at high-profile times with runners on base, and that gets remembered much more than all, say, of the walks and the HBPs they're drawing. By the way, they're well over 50-50 in that. They've got more combined walks and plunkings that they have strikeouts. That's good. Now, SEC arms won't issue that many free passes, but then neither do conference staffs keep throwing a diet of that soft stuff that's kind of had some of the dogs off their timing. So if you're not, if, if you're making contact and making, if you, again, just make contact at some point, your contact will be good. It will get through. Even if it's just luck, it's the strikeouts that you can't really make up for and you can't just pop things up with runners in scoring position, which uh, became a little bit of a trend in some innings this past weekend, too. It didn't affect the series. State still won the series, but they should have been blowouts in a couple, at least a couple of cases, probably all three cases there. So what's coming up? Well, you got Evansville series this weekend after Southern Miss. Uh, by the way, Lamonis, as of yesterday, had not named a pitcher. I do still expect to be Lofton, but... It's an interesting situation, too. Um, Neither State nor Southern Miss have a conference series this weekend. I think Southern is playing Louisiana Tech now. They used to be in the same conference, and I know there's some real grudges between those two programs going for many, many years back, including the present. So Southern may regard it like that, but both State and Southern do have a little more luxury to go with some of your better arms in this matchup because you want to get that win and start building up your RPI already in February, in March, before you start hitting the league play there. So that's going to be fascinating to see what Lamonis and Justin Parker decide to do on the Hill since, again, Evansville coming to town, but you don't have to treat them like an SEC team. Well, I know, theoretically, you treat them all the same, but um, we, we know better. What worries me more is after Evansville, you've got a Tuesday game and a Wednesday game, both in Biloxi, great venue, Great fan support down there, just like Pearl. Maybe more even starred for Bulldog baseball. South Alabama and New Orleans, which once upon a time, those were real rivalries. My issue is you're playing them on Tuesday and Wednesday before coming back home and hosting LSU. I know you've got to get the games in. You've got to get the guys on the field, on the hill, at the plate for live evaluations right now, and more midweek games allow you to do it. But... It just seems a little concerning to me going next week, and we'll talk about this a lot next week, I'm sure. Uh, The fact that what if you have to use some of your good arms to get these W's because you need the W's. You've got to get those W's to make up for the losses the first couple of weekends of the season so you can't afford to play around with it and just go with Johnny Holstaff. But if you have to use some of your better arms and all of a sudden they're not available for, say, Friday night against the Tigers, even Saturday, you've kind of put yourself in a hole there. Only way to know, let it all play out. 
Now, speaking of letting it play out, let's turn to Bulldog basketball as promised. That five-win streak was pretty fun while it lasted, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and while consecutive losses since aren't fun, I don't consider them as indicators of any kind of real March issues for Bulldog basketball. Maybe it could mean a slump is starting and nothing can be ruled out, but I just don't think so. It just looks more like a Bulldog bunch playing an ultra-talented, if not always functional, Kentucky team right down to the literal last second, and then getting blitzed in the early minutes at a frantic Auburn and playing pretty evenly the rest of the way. Maybe on the home court, State duplicates that win over the Tigers, but didn't happen. So I'm going to call upon the ancient wisdom of one Douglas Adams in his Hitchhiker series, don't panic. Someday, but maybe not now. The Bulldogs are 8-8 eight eight overall, 8-8 uh, eight eight SEC, 19-10 overall. They're tied for 7th with LSU, which they have the tiebreaker on. Right now, the only team State can catch is Florida at 10-6, but the Gators have that tiebreak themselves. So it looks like the highest State can finish is 7th. I probably need to crunch the numbers and evaluate some multi-team jam-up tiebreaks if those should happen. Uh, not this Sunday night. Let's, let's get the Wednesday's game in the books and then start concerning about that. But at this point, I think stake the highest they can go is seventh seed in the SEC tournament. They could fall down uh, in the nine ten range, but you don't think that simply because they're at Aggie land Wednesday, which is the key to that 500 finish in the SEC, which is so key and the 20th win overall, which, uh, Maybe 20 wins doesn't have the magical number that it used to in the old NCAA tournament days, much like, you know, 40 wins in baseball used to be the magic number. Now, not so much, but it's still a threshold that Chris Jan's team wants to cross and probably needs to cross to get a solid seating in the NCAAs. As far as the last game well, in Humphrey Coliseum, senior day, South Carolina has gone through their slump, and they seem to be back on track, although their their games have been really close the last couple of weeks. And, you know, SEC opening day was so long ago that I don't think you can look for much in carryover from State's first meeting with the Gamecocks to now at the other end of the schedule, the rematch. But that game was on the road. It was only, what, the second, I think, time back for Tolu Smith, and nor was Josh Hubbard in the lineup that first time around. Now you've got a team that Tolu is back on his double-double run here with a couple of them. Josh Hubbard, is um, he's been a starter. Yeah, he's had an off game or two, but nothing so terrible as to cost his team that much. And you've got a pretty well-settled rotation of who you mix and match then. So Chris Jans knows way more about his team, what they can do, what they need to do, what probably is not their strengths to match up with the South Carolina team that is beatable. And again, home court is a humongous deal here in the SEC, which is why I shouldn't take A&M quite so much for granted. I just think right now the way the Aggies have slipped off that that is State's chance to lock up that 500 finish. Now, as far as the net, as of tonight, they're 31st. Uh, They touched top 30 before the weekend. And I think um, what they were 32 going to Auburn. That just shows you what playing Kentucky and Auburn, which are top 20 programs in the net, uh, they don't damage your debt when you lose. But right now, State is seeded anywhere from 8 to 10 in the brackets that I've looked at, the CBS and ESPN sites. I believe ESPN still need an updating after Sunday, so that could change there. Uh, 
but I don't see that radically changing. Now, had they had they been able to hit a couple free throws, make one less turnover, or just get out and stop a guy in the waning seconds, they would have beat Kentucky, and they would have had an excellent shot at a seven-seeding no matter what happened with Auburn. It's not going to happen now. It's um, They'll have to go on a run in the SEC tournament to get there, which they're capable of. Uh, but let's look at the stats. Mm. Parenthetical comment. It's probably going to get me in trouble with some people in the Bryan building, but I have to say this new format for HailState.com, it's more clunky than my college year's Ford Granada. Oh, hey, all the ads sure show up fast, so I guess we know the priorities. Okay, uh, rant aside. Let's see, Tolu, again, consecutive double-doubles and back to 50% at the stripe. Some things just don't look like they're going to change through the season, but his shooting percentage has improved in recent weeks, and his rebound rate has gone up. He's back in the double-double range on that as well. Hubbard is interesting here. His last three games, he's 50% at the arc. 50% at the arc. You talk about a high percentage play, Josh, there's the line, stand behind it, do whatever what you got to do, and shoot the ball. Because he's only 33% inside it. Go figure. Now, m- my concern about Hubbard is not his shooting or anything else. And, and by the way, I thought he made some decent and even a couple of good defensive plays against Kentucky. He's just not consistent there. But, you know, at this point, any defense you get out of Josh is a bonus. That's to my humble mind. I'm sure Christians will not agree at all. But I think defense, not exactly optional, but uh, you take what you can get and you get the ball in his hand, you get it down the court and let him shoot. But he's averaged 35 minutes these last three games. And honestly, that's a lot for a kid here at the weary end of his first college season. That would be my only concern for him at this point. Is he going to get tired? He certainly doesn't look it. and He's the energizer bulldog out there zinging around the arc, uh, looking for shots, chasing the ball, and getting shots off from ridiculous angles and ridiculous body positions. I'll keep updating where he stands, not just in the freshman class, but he's making a run at some top 20s in all class standings of what he's doing, well, particularly the arc. I think he's going to obliterate some of the records that we've set there by uh, the Daryl Wilsons and others for a total trays made, trays attempted, things like that. He's not going to beat Shane Powers' efficiency out there. Shane was, what, 48%? And that was money out there. Or maybe I'm misremembering, but uh, still, Hubbard is, I'm not going to say he's the best freshman I've ever seen. Ricky Brown sealed that away long ago, and there's been nobody even to come close to him as a true freshman. But Josh Hubbard, his uh, play this year, he may force me to change that all-freshman team that I put out, I believe it was at Thursday that it ran this week on Gene's page. Yeah, I listed my all-freshman in a condensed version from what I ran back to celebrate the 50th anniversary of freshman eligibility. And uh, I still stick with Ray White, although if you want to go with Jamont Gordon at the two-guard position, hey, feel free. I'm not going to argue either way on that one. I love Silk White, but Jamont Gordon may have been the most dang versatile player I ever saw in a Bulldog uniform. But Josh Hubbard, wow. If he keeps this up, he may force me to move those guys to, say, small forward and make a choice between them and Gary Hooker for my freshman team 
because Hubbard is lighting it up. And if he keeps doing this, especially if he does it in an extended NCAA run, he's going to make me change some things and I'll be darn glad of it. Anyway, NCAAs is still a couple a week away, um, two weeks away with the SEC tournament. Josh Dustin Frommer is updating the scenarios for state in the tournament. As I mentioned, the probable high seating there, but he'll have more exacting detail on it. Finally, let's see, getting close to a half hour. Uh, the SEC announced that media days are going to be July 15th through 18th. Uh, Mississippi State is drawn July the 17th. We don't know if it's going to be morning or afternoon and won't find out until summer, nor will we find out what players that Jeff Levy is going to take to his first media days. And as you know, it was announced a year ago in July they were going to Dallas. It's going to be held at the Omni Hotel downtown. Yeah, check the room prices, and I will probably not be staying at the Omni. Fortunately, I have a sister who lives in Richardson who I think has a spare bedroom. And if she doesn't, well, the couch hopefully is comfortable if her dogs allow me. Anyway, it's going to be a new show. And I noticed this little tidbit. And I will leave today's podcast at this. The SEC, of course, has almost traditionally held their media days in Birmingham slash Hoover. Not until 2018 did they move it out. And that time they went to Atlanta, where they came back to it in uh, 2022, I believe. Yeah. Then last year, for the first time, they went to Nashville. Now this year, they're going to Dallas. Do you notice the common thread between those three years? 2018, 2023, and 2024. You got it. Each year, the SEC went to a new address, an entirely new city. Mississippi State had a first-time head coach going to the podium. Joe Moorhead in 2018 Atlanta, Zach Arnett last year in at, uh, Nashville, and now Jeff Levy in Big D. By the way, Mike Leach uh, was in Atlanta once, but Moorhead got there first, and otherwise he was in Hoover Winfrey, where I sort of think it should stay, just A, it's convenient as heck for me as far as a drive. So my point being, for the sake of consistency, for the sake of Jeff Levy and the program, SEC, either leave it in Dallas next year or go back to the Hoover Winfrey. We got to have some consistency in our coaching office at this point. We don't need to make another change if you go to a new city next year, unless that new city is New Orleans. I've always thought, why don't they move media days to Fat City and we can go down there in July? Yes, where it's brain-meltingly hot. I don't care. Even I would show up, and now that uh, marriage has uh, opened my eyes and my liver to uh, at least uh, modest fruit-of-the-vine libations, I think I would certainly enjoy a trip down there and a walk down the streets and the restaurants in New Orleans. Fat chance, that happens, but a dog can always hope. All right, we've passed 30 minutes, so it's time this Sunday evening for me to shut up, put this one in the can. We'll have more to talk about media days in the the coming weeks when I need filter material, obviously. There's another irony that I think uh, is probably missing attention about there of what day State is going and who who Levy's sharing the podium with that day, but we'll address that in a couple weeks. Right now, Bulldogs at Texas A&M hosting, let's see, oh yeah, South Carolina this weekend to finish out the regular season. Their NCAA seating is in their hands, and uh, I think this is going to be a no-sweat, no-bubble season, fortunately for the Bulldogs. 
as they continue to build a program there. Lady Bulldogs, scratching and clawing, but they are just about close to making it another twofer for Bulldog basketball, men's and women's. And baseball, well, the win streak's nice, but let's go beat somebody like Southern Miss. Show that you can handle a team that's worthy of ranking and competitive and likes playing in Pearl as well. And then figure yourself out because it ain't that far to SEC season. And wouldn't you know, we're starting off by hosting our ancient rivals, LSU. That's our doghouse for this Sunday evening. I hope you have a good productive week along with the Bulldogs. Tune in for our next update. Probably try to get it done. Uh, Let's see. I think Friday may be my best day the way the schedule's setting up. Uh, just to alert the knowing, I'm going to have to make a quick run down to South Florida this week to pick up Kathy's grandkids. Um, I look forward to that because they're, what, eight, the boy's eight and the girl's five, and uh, the boy loves him some mossy oak stuff. His daddy has learned how to hunt. Um, our South Kathy's South Florida beach boy computer whiz son has turned into a outdoorsman. And so his son loves him some mossy oak, and I can't wait to take him by there. Eventually, at some point, hoping to get him out to Duty Noble Field as well there. So got some family obligations to take care of. And then, of course, as you know, spring break is not that far ahead. And uh, to update is what we little we know right now about spring football. It appears it will indeed start on March 19th, which is a Tuesday following spring break. All right, that's enough for one evening for all to absorb and digest. Enjoy it. Enjoy your evening, what's left of it. And let's go into the new week, and let's go Bulldogs. Thanks for checking in on the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This is David Murray. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.